Let me invite your attention to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I uh, read recently the biography of Avery Willis, and he was um, uh, significant in a number of ways in Southern Baptist life. He wrote Master Life that many of you uh, went through a number of years ago that's still in publication, by the way. It's about a 40-year-old training uh, program uh, that we've had around for quite some time. And then he was vice president or senior vice president of overseas operations for the International Mission Board. But uh, early on, he was a missionary to Indonesia. And one time when his family was home from Indonesia, uh, someone asked his small children, do you like that your dad is a missionary? And they said, yes, it's the most fun thing in the world, except if he were the ice cream man. Wouldn't it be great if everyone felt about Christian service as if they had just been introduced to the ice cream man? Wouldn't that just be marvelous? I, I hope after we're done this morning that you're going to feel like the opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ is like hearing the bell of the ice cream truck come through your neighborhood. Hey, does that happen anymore, by the way? Are the ice cream trucks coming through the neighborhoods anymore? Well, I, I propose somebody fix that, okay? Uh, our next church conference, we're going to vote that those things start coming through, all right? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to look there with me. And I want to talk this morning about serving Jesus from grace. Now, there are some who do not serve Jesus for a number of reasons. Some dear, sweet people that are hesitant to serve. There might be some circumstances or some other things going on in life. But for the able-bodied, I have found that there are three primary reasons why they may not serve Christ in his church in some capacity. One is they, they do not feel, uh, they, they feel unworthy. Uh, they, they've got some dark stain on their heart. They've got some guilt that they haven't gotten over or gotten past. Now, God may have gotten past it entirely and completely uh, because they confessed it to him. But they, they have not been able to rectify themselves to this. And by the way, let me say, being forgiven has very little to do with feeling forgiven. The status of being forgiven is far different than feeling forgiven. And we, we may need to talk about that sometime. But if you've confessed it before God, you've been honest and humble, you've said the same thing about your sin that God has said, then it's clear with Him. So some feel unworthy. Some feel unqualified. Some feel as if they just don't have the gifts and abilities to serve. And they're afraid of embarrassing themselves. They're afraid of failing. They're afraid of um, uh, not being able to do what uh, it is that they need to do, and so they avoid service. But a third reason happens to be that some are simply unmotivated. They're simply unmotivated. They're, they're not like the fellow I heard about that was a wrestler, a young man, scrawny little fellow. His team did not have a wrestling team at all in the high school where he went, but um, uh, they put together some matches for him anyway. And he was the only wrestler in the high school. And uh, he um, uh, was the kind that just wouldn't give up. He persevered. That was his only talent. He was not a good wrestler. And somehow he made it to the state finals in his weight class, and he wrestled the previous year's champion. And he got in there, and that fella tangled him up into a pretzel. Arms and legs and elbows and biceps and knees and ears and appendages, all in a mangled mess. And he's about to be counted out, but he refuses to give up. And in a moment, uh, his coach looks and turns his back. He can't watch the disaster. But in a moment, the crowd cheers, and this scrawny young man is the champion. He's won. 
He's defeated the previous year's champion. And he asked, and he says, uh, what in the world did you do to beat last year's champion? He said, I was in a tangled mess. There was no way that I was getting out. And all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and there's a big toe. And I don't know if it was right or if it was wrong, if it broke the rules or not, but I bit it as hard as I could. And you know, it's amazing what can happen when you bite your own big toe. <laughs> you know, I sure would like for people to feel that way about the opportunity to serve Christ and have that much impetus to, uh, to do so. Ephesians chapter 3 combines our service with God's grace. And here Paul models a ministry of grace. And I want you to look just as verses uh, 7 and 8 of chapter 3. We'll look down to verse 11 in the balance of the message. But beginning in verse uh, 7, Paul talks about the gospel and says, Of which I became a minister or servant according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. So he roots his service not in his worthiness, not in his ability, not even in his own motivation. He roots his service in the grace of God. Now, do you know what grace is? Grace is God's abundant help to sinners according to their need. Not according to their worth. Not according to their loveliness. Not, not according to their appeal to God, but according to their need. God is willing to help anyone with a need. Vance Habner reflected on this one time and he said, Lord, I've got the weakness, you've got the strength, let's team up. And that's what you can say to God today. It may be that your need is for God to cancel your guilt and get you past some, um, some embarrassing uh, behavior and attitudes or some failures. And, and you need to come to Christ today. God's willing to meet that need. And at the end of the message, we'll give you that opportunity. For some of you, it may need to be to come back to God. For some of you, it may be uh, the need to move forward with Him. You're searching for His will. I want to say to you, God is very eager and willing to help in an abundant way at any point of your need. He's capable of doing it. And the fact that we're assembled here today is a testimony to that. No one here could have ever served him without his grace. God can meet every one of those needs. So listen, God's grace can eliminate any problem you have with service. And here at Beach Haven, we really need to take seriously the opportunity for service. December the 9th, we're asking all of our Sunday school classes to engage in a mission project in uh, Merry Christmas Athens. And we'll finish with a grand finale at the mall as our mu music ministry presents a uh, marvelous, marvelous music presentation. And, and then we're always needing people to serve in children's uh, ministry. We need dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people to serve in children's ministry. We, we need an awful lot to serve in extended session, taking care of uh, preschoolers and babies during the uh, worship service. And everybody joins together. We can balance out uh, the load there. Uh, you all asked for babies and children years ago. Well, they've come, and there's more coming, by the way. In fact, we've had an enormous demographic shift here at Beach Haven when about five years ago, about two-thirds of our congregation was over 60 or 65, and today two-thirds is under 50. 
And that's what we've got going on. And so we've got to serve. We've got to step in, and we've got to uh, do that. Uh, then we're, we're contemplating and thinking through, without any promises, but thinking through and praying through as a staff, going to two services come this August. Your marriage and family needs the grace of God. Our interaction with the world and multiplied opportunities, we need the help of God all the way through. We need God to meet us at the point of our need. And grace can eliminate any problem that you may have with service. Well, why is that? Well, there are several ways uh, to describe God's grace in this text that helps us with any difficulty we may have with service. And the first way is wide grace. God's grace is a wide and enormous grace. Verse number seven, it encompasses enemies. Paul said, I became a servant or minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am, the, who am less than the least of all the saints. Now that is a stunning statement if you are living and reading this in the first century. Paul had been an enemy of the church, a self-righteous enemy of that, convinced he was right, and no one can talk him out of it. His uh, mentor, Gamaliel, had counseled a more moderate uh, approach to the Christian church, and Paul wouldn't listen to him. Even his great mentor, Gamaliel, could not convince him otherwise. He was right, and he was going to stand firm in his opinion until Jesus met him in power on the Damascus Road and turned him around, saved him, and converted him. Paul had gotten so low in his religious self-righteousness that he even voted for the death of the followers of Jesus. And yet, we find here in this text, God reached down to him and turned him into a servant of the gospel that he opposed. Some of you are familiar with the name Richard Dawkins, which has got to be the loudest, most obnoxious atheist in the world. For Paul to come to Christ is much like Richard Dawkins becoming a Southern Baptist evangelist next week. That's, that's the scale on which this takes place. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. God's grace is for even those struggling in that way. And, uh, uh, and, and Paul makes it very clear. I'm a minister according to the gift of God's grace. When God saves, when God forgives, when God redeems, He gives a gift of grace, not a loan. In other words, it is a gift with no strings attached. Just place faith in Jesus and you're secure. God is not going to repossess it. Once you're saved, you are always safe with Him. So a gift according to grace. So it's for those that were enemies. But he goes on and says, it's not only for enemies, it's for all. Look at verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, and he invents a word here. Uh, he takes, uh, takes this and makes it a, um, a comparative. He says, I am the lester, the leaster of all the least of the saints. I'm not the least of all the saints. I'm less than that, he says. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches to Christ, in verse 9, to make all see. And so he's communicating with the Gentiles, the pagans. He's communicating with all, including the Jews, who were rather secure with the false sense of security in their walk with God. And he communicated to them all and delivered the gospel of Christ to them all. And, and so it's not only for the enemies and for the all, but look at verse 10, and this may come as a surprise to you. 
Uh, he says in verse 9, to make all see what is the uh, management, I, I should say, of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. As you live your life for Christ, and as we live our life together, there is more that's going on than what our eyes see. The world is not only composed of humans. The world is composed of a spirit world as well. Angels and demons, which are called principalities and powers, in verse number 10. And they look in on what we are doing, and what we do is a witness to them. It's also a witness to the saints that have gone on to heaven. It's a witness to the Old Testament heroes as well. And so they are looking in on what is being done, and they're not doing anything different than what the rest of the world is doing. Truth be told, our research says that you're probably making a bigger impact with family and co-workers and neighbors than what you know. You're probably making a bigger difference than what you know. They are watching you. Reminds me of Avery Willis again when he was in Indonesia. They had to hire someone for the house and for the outside of their home to take care of the grounds where they were uh, living. And uh, this one man came and came to work for them. And he began to watch them and examine them to see if they were living what they believed. And what he noticed is that Avery Willis and his family treated everyone the same. They did not have a caste system. They, they did not treat people according to social class. They treated everyone the same. Well, it got all over the heart of this man, and he showed up early. He, he didn't bathe, which was unusual for an Indonesian man. Let's pray it's unusual for Americans too. But he, um, he didn't bathe that morning. He met Avery before Avery had a chance to get cleaned up in the morning and insisted on giving his heart and life to Jesus Christ. He did and immediately went with some seminary students there in the city to pass out invitations to a revival meeting and begin to share the gospel of Christ despite the fact he suspected his family would reject him. All because he watched this family manifest great love, service, and grace to others. That is the potential and the power of your life with the grace of God. God can make a difference by His grace in life. And so the grace of God is wide. You can make a wide impact as described in these verses if you'll serve Him. So it's a wide grace, but there's a second way to describe it, and that is... It is a wealthy grace. Verse number 8. He said to me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should broadcast or announce among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, this is a new word that Paul coins and invents on the spot as he's writing Ephesians. The word is not used anywhere outside the New Testament. And it's used here. It, uh, in fact, the riches of Jesus Christ are so indescribable, Paul has to invent a word to describe them. And when he invents the word, he means you can't describe it. Uh, the, the word that he uses here does have a root word that is used outside the New Testament and in some other places, and, and that is the word footprints. Footprints. And then he adds some things to this. 
and a negative, which means no footprints. In other words, you cannot search or walk or travel far enough, high enough, deep enough, wide enough, broad enough to come to the end of the riches of Jesus Christ. The wealth Jesus holds and possesses is infinite, it's unfathomable, it is unsearchable, it is incalculable, it is all those multisyllabic words that if I go further, I'm going to struggle to pronounce them. That is how wealthy the Lord Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ can take care of every burden. Jesus Christ can take care of every sin. Jesus Christ can take care of every sorrow. Jesus Christ can take care of every future need. Jesus Christ can take care of every anxiety because He is Lord over them all. His wealth is unsearchable. That's Jesus. That's the kind of grace that you get to promote when you serve the Lord Jesus. John Stott has listed some, and let me list them here. There is Christ's birth, death, resurrection, and enthronement. And then there's reconciliation and peace with God. Then there's union with Christ. So just as He died, we died. Just as He was raised, we were raised. Just as He was seated, and welcomed into heaven, we've already been seated and welcomed in heaven. That's why once you're saved, you're always saved. Hey, when you get to heaven, the remarkable thing you're going to find is that you've already been there ever since Jesus ascended to that throne. And then there's access to God through Christ. There's the residence in your heart and life now of the Holy Spirit. You can't get to heaven now, but heaven can get to you by the Spirit. Then there's assimilation with believers around the world. Then there's membership in God's household and kingdom. So uh, you're, you're connected with the king, but you're connected with him in such a way that he's your father. Your father is the king of glory. And, and then there's participation in his victory in return. Every victory and every bit of the inheritance of Jesus Christ that is coming his way belongs to every believer by grace. And, and then there are rewards. And we could go on and on and on, and we could elaborate on the other 7,000 promises of the Word of God where 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. My soul, it is a wonderful thing to be connected to someone so wealthy. It is a wealthy grace. And when you serve Him, you are offering that very grace unto the whole world. It's like going to dinner someplace and someone else picks up the check and the tip. Forever. And ever. And ever. There is enough grace to make you effective in the service of Jesus Christ. To surpass and get beyond anything that is hindering you. It is a wealthy grace. Jesus is not lacking in any area of reality. And the key is to trust Him. And He'll come through. It, it is a wide grace. It is a wealthy grace. But then there's another way of describing it, and that is it is a wise grace. It's a wise grace. Let me say a couple of things before we read verse 11. When Jesus Christ claimed you, if you belong to Him, when He came into your life and, in, and bid you come to Him, He knew what He was getting into with you. Wouldn't that be great if that were true when you got married? 
You see, our love and relationship commitments are based upon what? Ignorance. <laughs> Isn't that true? We just don't know. You just don't know what you're getting into. And that's why you've got to make a rock rib, leather lung, flat-footed, broad-shouldered commitment to one another. And I'm real proud of you all. You, you've done that. Hey, did you know here at Beach Haven, we've had at least 66 couples that have celebrated their, 60, uh, their 50th wedding anniversary through our history. They're not all living today. Some of them have gone on to heaven. But we've had 66 celebrate their 50th anniversary. We, we've had some that are in second marriages that are looking at their 40th anniversary. And with God's blessing, they'll reach a 50th anniversary as well. Is that not remarkable? Hey, whenever you get into a relationship with someone, when you marry, you, you really don't know what you're getting into. You really don't. It's based upon ignorance. You can't say that about Jesus. When Jesus got into this walk with you, this eternal walk from which he will never turn and he will never leave and he will never forsake you, he knew what he was getting into because of verse 11. And there's another thing, and I want to be delicate. But some of you were a surprise to your parents. Some of you were. But you were not a surprise to God. You know why you're here? God wants you here. Do you know why you're hearing about the good news of Christ? God wanted you to. Verse 11 explains it all. Look there with me, verse 11. It says here that God has done all of this in verse 11 according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, the gospel of grace bringing you to him, the global, the ecclesiastical, the personal, in every realm of the operation of God which encompasses all things God pre-planned and has performed according to his eternal plan, which the capstone is Jesus and what we read of him in the Gospels through Revelation. God had a plan and he worked the plan. And part of that plan was to get you to him. And he planned that with a very strong sense of priority. A very strong sense of priority. Help me complete this statement. It's a bit of wisdom that we should use when planning. First things first. Before the creation of the earth, God arranged a plan to bring you to Jesus and give you a home in heaven. To unite you with Jesus Christ. To bring peace between you and God and manifest that in your life. That's what God has done. This is His eternal purpose, His eternal plan. God has worked it, and thank God, the plan worked. That's why you know Christ. Or at the very least, if you don't know Christ, then you're hearing the good news today, and, and you can give your heart and life to Jesus today. This is what He has done. This morning, I was feeling a little romantical, so I texted my wife something real sweet. I said to her, in hindsight, I would choose you all over again. That's all I have. All I have is hindsight, and frankly, 
I'm pretty impressed with what I see in hindsight. I really hope it goes both ways, but it at least goes one way. <laughs> yeah, Andy, you're not deciphering that, okay? Yes. I wasn't fishing for it, but I do appreciate it. (laughs) But that's all we have. When it came to you in your ups and your downs, your fears, your anxieties, your victories, your disappointments, the way that you've pleased the Lord, the way that you've displeased Him, God didn't merely have hindsight, God had foresight. He saw it all in the future and blessed God He brought you to himself anyway. And you know the price he paid to get that done? He slaughtered Jesus at the cross to make it happen. Oh, I hope you know the love of God for you. Oh, I hope that you understand his love knows no boundaries for you. We can't say that about everyone else, but we can say it about the one that matters the most, the God looking upon you today. It is a wise love. He got into this in a wise way. So God has a plan for your life and your eternity. And so your task is to know what it is and get in on it. And it won't be nearly as difficult as you think. Ephesians 2.10 says that he saved us and gets us involved in the works that he planned before the foundation of the world. Now here's the important thing to do. If you want to know what God wants you to do with your life, you've got to understand this. You need to do what you already know to do. You've got to. I mean, why should God give you any more insight into your life when you're not doing what you're supposed to do already? Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, about the word, be careful how you hear. Be careful. Exercise abundant caution when you hear the word. Like this morning or Sunday school, which should be a priority for everyone. Uh, Sunday nights as well and Wednesday nights. Be very careful to every Christian radio broadcast, every Christian book, every devotional, every devotional you receive by text or email. Be very careful how you hear that. For to him who has this carefulness, shall what? Shall more be given. So if you're careful to take what you already know to do and implement it, God will give you more. But to him, Jesus said, who does not have this carefulness, even what he has, what? Will be taken away from him. That's why some people keep making boneheaded decisions. Oh, sweet and lovely. We love them dearly. But perhaps you. But they keep getting involved in relationships and financial investments and other decisions. And things end up collapsing because they don't have the wisdom of God to guide them. Because somewhere in the past, God said, do this, and they didn't do it. And so even what they had, even what insight they had... God's taken away from them. You're going to have to understand. 
When God gives a command, he's not playing games. God expects obedience. And if you struggle, he's sympathetic. Tell him. He's not impossible to please. Don't misunderstand me. And his way is the best. And one of these days, you're going to slam your face against a cement brick wall enough to know his way is better than yours. And I hope you'll learn that young and learn that early. But do what you already know God wants you to do. For some of you this morning, that means giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ and saying yes to Him. You've got some insecurity about whether you know Him. I mean, if you were to die today, you're not certain that He would let you into heaven. You have no answer to the question, why should God let you into heaven? And really, your life is no different than people that are not part of churches. There's no fruit there. In fact, the fruit that is there, you're not particularly happy with, and neither is he. You need to give your heart and life to Christ. You already know that. The Bible commands repent and believe in the gospel. For others of you, it may be coming back to God. You know, he wants you to. He's trustworthy. Yield all things to him and bow it before him. For others of you, you're walking with the Lord, but you need to take another step, and God is directing you. Could be some of you, you, you need to become part of Beach Haven. You, you need to follow Christ in baptism. Maybe God's calling you to ministry or missionary service. But whatever need you have today, we're going to give you the chance to make that decision in just a moment. God is willing to meet it. He has been this way forever before you ever showed up on the scene. God has been willing to meet your need by grace. Reminds me of a young lady that uh, in her teenage years got into some difficulty with her parents and her family. And she got so enraged she left. She was so much smarter than everyone else. And she was set out to prove it. And while she was gone, she uh, had to live on the streets. She had to sell herself. She got really, really degraded. One day in a city somewhere, she saw, however a picture of her mother. She didn't know her father had passed away while she was gone, but she saw a picture in Glasgow, Scotland of her mother, and it said, I still love you, come home. She happened upon it. She got home as quick as she could. And she got home, finally, late at night. And she came to the door, and she began to tap it, and it opened, and it scared her. She thought, oh no, someone has broken in. So she burst through the door. She went to her mother's room to check to see if she was okay. And her mother embraced her. She was glad. She consoled her. She said, no, everything's okay. What you have to understand is that that door has been unlocked since the day you left. God's door to grace, forgiveness, acceptance, and all that you need has been unlocked since Jesus rose from the dead. It's time to walk in. It's time to come on in today. It's time to say yes. Some of you over here need to do so. Some of you in the middle, some on the side, some on the balcony. You need to come on in. You need to do what God wants you to do. The Bible says repent and believe. Well, what does it mean to repent? Well, imagine you walk up to the door and you get cold feet and you turn away from the door and you walk away and you change your mind. And you say, I've got to go back to that door. 
The act of changing your mind is repentance. The Bible says, repent and return that you may have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And then believe you go through the door. You trust that when you get through the door, you're going to be accepted and embraced. That's what the Bible teaches. It says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you say through faith that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Repent and believe. If you're willing to do that and tell God that today, we're going to give you the chance to do that. You do what God wants you to do. But I want to ask you to quickly stand with me, please. Tommy and John are going to be here to receive you. We're going to pray together. We'll sing. And when we sing, you come.